Welcome to the More Beach Meetings podcast produced by Surf Office. I'm Carson Sweezy. The More Beach Meetings podcast gathers the leading voices of the future of work to discuss remote working, company culture, and team retreats with new episodes the first and third Wednesday of the month. Today's guest is Vincent Garcia, founder and head of culture at MarketGoo, a remote-first SaaS company that helps grow your business by providing easy, do-it-yourself SEO tools. Vincent and MarketGoo have been praised on publications like Fast Company for their philosophy when it comes to pay transparency and why they chose not to divulge individual salaries. Let's get into it. Hey, Vincent, thanks for taking the time to chat today. Hey, Carson, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So you mentioned on MarketGoo's website these five company stages, and they're based on finances and cash flow levels. What does classifying company growth into stages help the team understand? It's been a, a reference about the cash flow and, and, and economical references. Uh, and we changed that uh, recently into trying to understand where, where fast we are, what stage we are in, in every situation. So the team knows what is going about. No, I mean, in, in this case, like in phase two, like phase one, we was when we were regenerating less business and we were still growing the company, were uh, more vulnerable and scaling was hard. So the people knew that they have to maybe work uh, with a different intensity. And also we adapt our wages and our salaries, founders and the team included. So in early stages, we don't have, uh, in the first early stage, we don't have uh, profit setting and so on. So the, all the team knows where we're heading. I mean, it's not that we have a clear roadmap, so we are changing, but like in phase two, where we try or in stage two, where we are, which is the phase where we're now, we're creating more, generating more cash and we have more resources and, and we are almost debt free. So. It is a situation where we still want to consolidate our business, our project. And from the moment that we consolidate the project and, and we put some experiments on and, and we learn to do some of the things that we want to do in terms of, obviously, in the SaaS landscape, everything is, uh, is complicated. So as, as soon as we uh, reach those levels, we'll, we'll enter in stage three, which means that we are more prepared, more mature in, and in that situation and we were more uh, willing to raise our salaries and to... Uh, increase our profit setting figures and also there is like um, we have all these perks and different benefits for for the team that are different in, in the different stretches so I think it's a great benefit is that everybody aligns with what's uh, the course of the company the business and also as we always look into align as well with the benefits but also with the obligations yeah giving metrics sort of helps people understand where the company's at and where it's going and have you noticed that that helps with incentives and, and people striving like, okay, let's get to this phase or this stage so that we have this or X or whatever it is. Yeah, I think that <clears throat> gives them a, a clear view, you know, that they, they know that they, they have to press more or to have more intensity or they, they need to test more things. I think it's a, it's a great way to understand and also to, to have a more clear understanding of the purpose of the company, you know, like we... Uh, maybe at this at this moment, stage five or stage uh, stage four, stage five is more like a dream. It's like uh, where we want to go, and I think it's an interesting point because we are not just only focusing on on creating a, a great product, which is marketable uh, as for, for for to help uh, SMBs on, on doing SEO. But with the stage five uh, or stage four, we are looking to have a high performing team, uh, people that uh, all the team, the, the team members, being able to demonstrate that we are able to, to have success in this space and being able as well to replicating these things. So I think it's a it's a great uh, compass for the team, a great way to explain and to and also to to design our identity. 
it sort of gives a level of transparency too. So everyone knows like where we're going and, and there's no uh, ambiguity behind it, which is so helpful for growing companies for everyone to understand more or less where you're going, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we are almost uh, open book management company. So at any at any situation or occasion that we have, we speak. I, I usually do to the team, and I tell them, okay, we are in this situation. This is the case we have. This is the the PNL, and and this means that if we keep growing this uh, this way, and and we can also demonstrate that we are validating and making these experiments uh, well, we'll enter phase or stage three in, in maybe in Q1 2020. So they know how the course of the company is going, just not, uh, they are, they're only of focus on what they're doing. Maybe in the, the, development, the product development, they only focus on their sprints or the goals. They have like a more higher sense of what's going on. And, and along with the with all the data and all the figures and economics, they, they have a good sense of how is the, the company doing. You mentioned that you're almost open book or almost fully open book. And I've seen on your website that you've mentioned this, that you're almost fully transparent. What is, what do you mean by almost and, and why almost? It's like at some point we, we asked the team, okay, as you know, we, we are going to open our books and we are going to share everything. And if we do that, uh, salaries uh, will arise. No? So um, before doing that, we want to know if you, if you want, if that is important or not. And, I don't know. I mean, most of the people say, I don't think that is any, is, is, is adding anything. No, they, they can see the aggregate uh, team cost, but uh, I don't have a clear answer. I mean, what we do, usually what we do is we ask the team, no, so what do, what do you think? So we do this, so we do that. And in this situation, they say, we don't see any, any point in disclosing our salaries, but it's true that we're working as well on, on having like a structured salaries and, and formulas so everybody will get a sense of how much they're doing. So I think it's anecdotal. It's not like uh, that important. Right. Well, I think the important thing is that you're asking the team, right? Because I think it's easy uh, sort of to follow trends, right? Even like progressive business trends and say, oh, like this is what people do now. They, they show there's companies fully transparent showing everyone's salary, but you're saying, okay, that's good. But does the team actually want that? Like, do you guys actually want salaries to be public and everyone know what everyone's making and the case of market it wasn't what everyone wanted right so it works out and that's actually it's, it's really nice because the way that we do it is that you have a, a primary role like a programmer or front-end developer but you can have a secondary role which is being part of the team called the culture team no? so there's like four of us now in the culture team and sometimes some new people appear so additional is a rotational situation so the people in the culture team decides like uh, for example the the moment that we were able to some uh, profit setting the question came up and i tell okay what formula are we going to use so is the uh, is the formula based on the seniority is the formula based on the impact of the people is the formula based on, on what is the best thing no for somebody to have this so i wasn't deciding this it's like it was the culture team they were the one deciding and and those uh were obviously member team members, not the founders or or the business owners. Interesting. I definitely want to get into the profit sharing, but so you're saying that the culture team is like almost like a board of people within the company. It's not necessarily a separate group of employees that just focus on that, but it's people that come together into making the decisions on culture. Yes, that's it. Where's the where did that come from? Was that from the start you had a culture team or what brought that philosophy about? I think that from the from the very beginning, I, I saw that there were like uh, initial core core members that uh, 
actually one of the first, our first developer and our first uh, first marketing manager. They were like very sensitive. Obviously, maybe we have to have some something to about this. No, when we when we when we the hiding and we tell them what our ideas about working and, and lifestyle and balance were. So they they get into this and and then I soon realize what am I trying to build the, the culture myself? So okay, I can lead it and I have to lead it and, and I know that, but I I want to be I want to have their voices, no, and I and I want to share this. Actually, it's, it's very relieving, no, because at some point you say. I'm not taking these decisions. They are taking the decisions. I am not on the, the only one responsible for this. So they are part of it. And, and, the, and the team is right, really diverse. No? It's like uh, there is a guy that is uh, doing the, the team members in the, in the product development. I mean, he's managing the programmers and the developers and so on. There is this um, marketing manager. Then we have somebody from product. And now we have a, a, piece, a BD also joining the culture teams. Sometimes we invite people. I mean, it's a really uh, democratic or collaborative uh, situation or, or group. You mentioned profit sharing a bit. How does profit sharing work at MarketGoo, if you can give us some insights? I think that the first thing is that we, the founders, we had some, um, some experience in the past uh, working some companies that had some success and some uh, VC money. And, and we have uh, different situations. And and we, we went through all those games, but at this stage, we decided to make this uh, bootstrap company where we control the growth and we control how the company was going. So we didn't have an exit strategy and it was like, okay, we don't have an exit strategy. What, uh, what's going on? So, so we start thinking, so what's, uh, what do we all want? We want to, as I said, we want to have the, we want to align our team members with the obligations, but also with the benefits. No, what's, uh, what is the most easiest uh, thing to align them with the benefits? And in Spain, where we are based, or at least our company is based in Spain, although that we have people around the world and, and it's a multinational team. The regulation is uh, avoided, avoid, so it is very restricted uh, in terms of uh, sharing property, which you cannot do it that uh, easily. So we said, okay, what is the best way to share those benefits, profit sharing? So we look at our, our, our stages and our design, where we want to go, and we have one thing in, in mind, and we, but it was very clear, we want to be a very profitable company. So if we are a profitable company, you can do a lot of things. You you can be you are protected to pivot or to do all of things, but also you have this liquidity so the people will be able to share the profits. So at this moment in this stage, we are sharing five percent of the profit. Everybody knows what the profit is. As I said, we are open book management and we are sharing the profit sharing with the with team members who have been with us more from two years. And as I said, this is now it's becoming an an interesting number. My goal is that uh, people will earn Quite a good money, quite a good chunk with the profit setting, and even in the past reinvesting that or doing whatever. So it's as I said, it's a nice, um, it's a nice thing. But also we don't focus that like an incentive. It's not like you have like this variable salary. No, you you have your pay salary, and this is like you have to see it like something that is on top of that. No, it's like uh, the dividends. What tips do you have for making that work? Was that I mean, whether it's like with the politics within the company and making sure everyone's on the same page with it, or just Infrastructure-wise, what tips would you have? The most important thing is to have a to have a system, no? To have a formula, and in our case, the formula is a, is a mix of uh, seniority, the time that you've been in the company, also the impact that you have. We don't want to hire or to attract somebody that has got a great talent and not uh, sending profit with him because just being with us for not so so much time. So we have that profit. With we have that system on, in place. Next thing, obviously, I think that is uh, an important thing is that you share what you're doing. If you don't share what is the bottom line, 
it's hard to, to have a trust on on the profit no so uh, being open i think is a is mandatory being having open book management is mandatory to make this work and then we are using like a, we're doing we don't want to in this on a monthly basis so we do it every two quarters which uh, usually happens at the at the moment of the retreat and it's like an as well a, like in a party no that we get to that point and, and then we disclose what the what the amount for everybody is i mean not disclose but because they have a like a sense of what we're doing but uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously, the founders, being a founder, I, myself and, and also the main shareholder of the company, I must uh, differentiate what is my role like an executive and what is my role like the shareholder. So there is like a structure of money that uh, goes into the dividends, proper dividends and another amount uh, for the profit setting. I think it's a pretty simple idea. I don't see, I don't see any, any struggle with that, actually. So while we're talking about finances, I want to talk about your approach to the P&L. You have this uh, beautiful approach to it. And can you give us maybe the formula and then we'll talk a little bit about it? I spend a lot of time with, uh, with, other, with other business people. No? And, and I always see that they have this strong focus on, on maybe in binary metrics, no? how much you're making, income you're making, how many employees you have, and what is the EBITDA. And I don't think that brings a, a real sense of what your company is doing. No? So I get to this. Uh, I came to this idea of, of uh, providing or, or, or suggesting a different PNL, no? one where the one where you have to add to the sum not only the incomes and, and the expenses that you are having, but also the wisdom, trust, and peace of mind, no? which is uh, some intangibles. No, in what sense? No, and I was uh, I was having one on one with my with our growth manager this morning, and I, he was like. Okay, this is a new role, no, with us, no, and and still metrics are not. Uh, I mean, still quantity metrics are not there, no. But I was telling him, I was telling him, okay, you've been working all this time, and we are growing, and that's uh, wisdom growth, no. We know that you are progressing, but the numbers are not getting into the. We are not getting that impact into the numbers because of the nature of our company, no. So you cannot judge what is what is going on just by looking at the PNL. But in our situation, like like in our in our case, we've been a, a SaaS, and there is this saying that is a SaaS uh, slow ramp of death, where you start making, you start working and working, but the growth doesn't come. Most of the companies that are in the private space, on the bootstrap space, we struggle a lot in the first years. But if you're progressing, um, creating a, creating this wisdom, like okay, we know that we don't have to do this, or we know that this works, no, this methodology is working, and then we're creating trust within the team. All that things are growing, no? all that things are growing and you cannot see it. I mean, you cannot look at the numbers and say, oh my God, uh, we are not going to be able to, to get to this point because the, the cash is not that healthy. But if you will be able to look at the PNL and, and have these intangibles somehow, like, yes, we don't have the, the cash. I mean, we're not making the incomes, but look at those, all of those things that we are, that we know now and that we are doing those things are going to pay off. No? So that's like trying to anticipate the intangibles of, uh, of, of the things that you are doing within the company to the present time and building a PNL that is more different than, than the quantity and the less, uh, less uh, challenge uh, the growth. No? We, it's funny because at some point, some people mm, that I talk with, they, they say yes, and maybe you are not, you're like life, lifestyle business. We're very ambitious. I mean, we are a team of 15 people and quarter of a million of customers. No? We are growing and and we're a Spanish company, and, and this is not a, maybe a very technical or very tech-native uh, company, but we are doing business all over the world, no? So it's not like you have to be just like, like lifestyle business. But, well, I'm going coming away of the of that idea, but the PNL, I think that you have to add more ingredients to the formula, not only looking at the incomes and, and the expenses to, to judge uh, the health of your business. 
you mentioned that you're closing the office. So you're your remote first company, but you have an office still in Madrid and a few of your team members are still there. But now you've decided to close the office and you uh, sort of gave some foresight into what that might allow you to do. What What is closing the office going to allow you to do in terms of keeping everything remote? It was like this strange situation where most of the team was working remote uh, in different parts of the world. And, and we were keeping this uh, company, I mean, this this office company, this office in, in Madrid for three, four of us. I was spending less time and less time at the office. And last weekend, my wife told me, what are you doing with the, with the office? And you're even even looking into improve the office. I, I don't see the point where you're a remote first company. It was like, yes, that's a really simple idea. So I came to the office and I told the team and, and actually the team uh, here and, and the culture team, and I, I told them, look, why, why do we have an office? I, I don't see the point now. And the interesting thing is not getting rid of the office. Is uh, the interesting thing is what truly transforms that idea into what we want to be now. No, so it's like okay, we have this budget. We are going to save some of the money, but that's not the goal. What we want now to do is we want to take the advantage of, of becoming a remote first. Obviously, there are some challenges that uh, some informal conversations or some interesting conversations that we have in here in the office in, in Madrid. How are we going to keep that uh, momentum in our relationship? No? So the ideas are uh, starting to flow and, and it's like, okay, one guy say, okay, let's do the market good jam. What is the market good jam? Like, so every Wednesday we're going to meet uh, in a fixed time from noon to, to six. We're going to have uh, lunch. Uh, we're going to have a rent, uh, rent and space and people will go there from Madrid or from, from whatever it is, or we can use that money and go to the Canary Islands where we have some team members there, which is a very nice uh, area full of beaches and, and nice weather. And we can go there and spend spend like a couple of days and, and have these meetings. So it's like very powerful, you know, getting rid of the, of the office and, and thinking that we should be thinking, you know, like a remote first. So yeah, I think it's an interesting, interesting way of thinking. And I've been I've been reading a lot. Uh, one of my my inspirations is um, Senko, this uh, Richard Sembler, this this entrepreneur who who did incredible things for the culture in in a hard situation, hard context in in Brazil, in the industrial area in Brazil. So this guy, his 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 motto is is asking always why, no? Why why cannot we be without an office? Why should I be the one uh, setting up the the formula? Why should I be the one setting up the salaries? Why should I be? And so it's a powerful question, and I think that question and always and also my wife <laughs> which is wiser than me make the point here and progressing into into building the the culture that way. Well, thanks, Vincent, for taking your time and uh, thanks for explaining everything that Market Good does and, and all the wisdom you have. I appreciate you chatting with us today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Our guests on the podcast bring up some amazing thoughts on remote culture. How do they keep remote culture from becoming stale and distant when the team isn't physically present day by day? Most, if not all of them, are leveraging in-person offsites. Get your employees out of the office and get ready for an experience that will give you a boost of team spirit. Head to thesurfoffice.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the show to stay up to date with the latest conversations around the future of work. We'll be back with a brand new guest and some fresh ideas in a couple of weeks. Until soon.